HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Root 11 Potato Chips. Made with a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. To learn more, visit rt11.com. This week on Meet and 3, we look at how we've adapted to a new normal during the pandemic. From the business of restauranteering and the new habits of composters to learning from the past to prepare for the future, we're exploring what came before and what lies ahead. People in charge of the collections and the acquisitions looked at me and were like, what the hell are you trying to sell me cookery for? These kids are so young and we're teaching them that it's okay to throw out all this food and we have to figure out a way to educate these students to make them, you know, lifelong environmentalists. Tune in to Meet and 3 wherever you get your podcasts for the latest stories in the world of food. Hello, this is Lisa Held, and you're listening to The Farm Report, a Heritage Radio Network show about the people, processes, and policies that shape how food is produced today. My guest today is Tobias Fox, the founder of Newark Science and Sustainability, an organization that works on urban agriculture, renewable energy, and other projects to help create self-sustaining and environmentally friendly communities in Newark, New Jersey. Tobias, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thank you for having me. How are you? Uh, So good. Welcome. Um, I am really happy that uh, we are talking and we're recording this podcast. You and I have had uh, quite a lot of technical issues, but we are making it happen. And, you know, this is just the way things are during a pandemic, I guess. Well, <laughs> so I, I thanks think, for bearing with me. Oh, no problem. I think it has brought us closer together. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I I want to talk a, a lot about um, your work and, and, you know, urban agriculture in Newark and, and lots of different different aspects of what you do. Let's start with um, your community gardens. You know, this is the farm report. We talk a lot about farming. Um, how did you get started with growing food in Newark? Oh, wow. So 
well, I have to start by saying that um, I was born in Newark. I grew up in East Orange, lived in Irvington. And so this is like an urban triangle, if you will. And uh, Newark, Irvington, and East Orange has been the circle of my, my life. And um, I grew up in a household of 16. And so I've experienced every issue related to, to poverty imaginable. And there was no um, agricultural life going on in my household. Um, and so um, my educational experience or background consists of, um, let's see, uh, creative writing, book publishing, filmmaking. I'm also a photographer. And so I was deeply engaged in independent publishing uh, as an adult for about 10 years. And then it was about 2011 uh, is when I kind of got burnt out from that whole experience and just completely um, uh, became uh, jobless, uh, penniless, the whole nine, you know, and I had no place to live. I was sleeping, found myself sleeping on my cousin's couch, um, collecting food stamps. And then I was trying to figure out how do I reinvent myself from this? Uh, and so uh, it wasn't until October of 2011 when someone informed me about a group of people who had marched down on Wall Street demanding economic justice. And I was curious. I wanted to know what was going on. I thought there was being some some handouts was going on and I wanted to be a part of it. So I scraped up some change, caught the path train from Newark into uh, New York City, World Trade Center, walked a few, a few blocks down to Zuccotti Park and became indoctrinated into the Occupy Wall Street movement. And it was during that time is when I started to meet people that were growing food in rural and urban environments. And um, I didn't know what an urban farmer was. I didn't even know that was possible, that you can grow food in you know cities until, until I started meeting these people. In addition to meeting uh, renewable energy technicians, people who were transforming or creating electricity from the use of solar wind and pedal bike technology. And so I would say it was in the fall of 2011 that kind of opened my eyes to this. And then uh, YouTube was becoming popular at that time. And so I started watching a lot of YouTube videos. Um, again, it was abstract to me because I'm watching uh, on these videos of people growing food, but uh, there was still no connection because uh, I didn't know anyone personally that was doing this uh, until I met these growers during the uh, Occupy Wall Street movement in New York. And then I became a, I became a lead organizer for uh, Occupy Newark uh, in November of 2011, going into 2012. And that's when um, uh, I met a renewable energy technician and electrical engineer, uh, Newark resident who um, started putting these ideas in my head about allowing him to teach us about solar technology. And then um, I learned at that time in, in going into the spring of 2012 that the city of Newark has an adopt-a-lot program where you can adopt a vacant lot for the purchase of a dollar um, and you lease that for the year. Uh, and with the purpose of transforming that vacant lot into some type of green space. And so as so at that time, I started organizing a lot. 
And uh, so I had the ability to, uh, and I had the professional experience of being uh, a publisher and co-author and acquisitions editor for 10 years in publishing. And uh, so I had that, that professional experience and then I had this new skill of organizing and I kind of combined that together to create this working group called North Science and Sustainability Working Group within Occupy Newark. Um, but as the whole encampments and the Occupy movement was being dismantled, uh, I still carried on uh, this, this message through uh, the working group, Occupy North, uh, excuse me, Science and Sustainability Working Group. And then, and then we said, you know, hey, look, we learned about it was just me and about eight other or nine other local green enthusiasts. We were just doing, you know, green stuff, I guess, you know, organizing trips to organic farms and organizing workshops around renewable energy. And then when we learned about this Adopt-A-Lot program in the city of Newark, uh, I said, hey, you know, let's adopt a lot, you know, and turn into a garden, a community garden. And we did that. And so I took this organized, this grassroots organizing approach of bringing dozens and dozens of people together to help with this transformation uh, of this vacant lot into a community garden. But every time when we go to the garden to, to do um, some uh, gardening activities, I would just stand around and watch. And it was these two, uh, in particular, two middle-aged at that time, um, European-American women said, Tobias, you know, we really love what you do. You're a really good organizer. You managed to bring all these people together to do this, to do this awesome work. But we, we realized you stand around a lot when we're in the garden. You don't, <laughs> you don't know anything about gardening, do you? And I says, no, I don't. And so this is, okay, well, we're going to teach you everything we know. And they did. And so they became my mentors uh, and teachers um, and, um, and helped me become a gardener and grow into the world of urban farming. Um, and so that's how it all began for me. Yeah, that's it's an incredible origin story. And I think it's really interesting um, because, you know, when most people think of Occupy Wall Street, they think financial inequality, but maybe they don't think about farming or food production off the bat. Um, what about like the connection? Tell me a little bit about that connection. Like was was the community garden inspiration? Did a lot of it have to do with economic justice for you? So that's a really good question. It wasn't really for me. It wasn't about um, at that time. It wasn't about economic justice, uh, it was more so about um, kind of like um, meeting this uh, huge disparity um, with our food system, um, getting people more connected with nutritious food, myself included. Uh, and uh, it was almost like, you know, just kind of spiritual liberating to be able to produce your own food. Um, and make it economical, you know, at the same time. And so, and so that was really the motivation for me. Uh, it wasn't until, you know, some, a few years later that we begin to look at a uh, attaching in business model to this. So that way we can not only demonstrate how urban agriculture contributes to the wellness of the community, but also the local economy. Right. So, what are the community gardens um, that you have? What do they look like today? Oh, so, well, I mean, um, so since then, um, again, 
using this whole, you know, grassroots organizing approach, um, I've been able to help with um, pulling together about local uh, 20 local uh, growers throughout the city of North Gardeners and p other people who identify themselves as urban farmers. Um, and so it's about 20 of us now in the network where we organize and collaborate with one another. Um, everyone have different approaches to agriculture. And so, you know, some people have this uh, community garden approach where they have different plots for different people. Um, some people are growing uh, food here specifically to take to a market, such as a farmer's market. Um, and uh, so for me, um, although we call our gardens, the two gardens that we have, a community garden, um, <clears throat> we, we don't lease out plots. And so um, I tell people, if, you're, if you participate in the garden activities and uh, attach yourself to the garden, then you're not assigning yourself to one portion of the garden, but the entirety of the garden. Um, and you become a part of the entire community, which means that you help with the upkeep and management of the entire garden and not just one section of it. And why I do this is because, you know, you know I'm a 70s baby. And so growing up, I clearly still remember when um, when, you know, a neighbor would, you know, mow the lawn, their lawn, but also, you know, the lawn of the neighbors to the left and right of them. And then they would, and then that, that would exchange another week or another time, uh, that neighbor would do the same. And so it's like, you know, when it was time to shovel snow or rake leaves in front of our homes, people would share that responsibility, you know? And so, um, and so there wasn't, so I, I remember when um, there was a sense of community and every wasn't, everyone wasn't so much thinking about themselves um, and the property that they attached themselves to. And so, um, and so I wanted to kind of like revive that type of spirit in the growing space. And so it's a community garden, but there's no like assigned plots. Right. Yeah. So everyone's kind of participating in gardening together. Right. And and then uh, where does the food end up? So huh. and so that was uh, some other things that we had to kind of like um, trial and error. Right. And so um, <clears throat> it's funny because like, you know, you got corporations, they get, uh, you know, millions of dollars to um, do trial and error, you know, more than once, you know, they get, you know, yeah. like, okay, well, here's some more money. Try it again. You know, but with us on this grassroots level, we, you know, we get, you know, $5,000 and expect to be, and we're expected to change the world, you know, um, right. so, <laughs> uh, which is crazy. But, um, so in the beginning, the food, a lot of the foods, you know, would, uh, a, a portion of it, we would consume those who participate. Yes. But a large portion mm -hmm. of it would get wasted in the garden and become compost because there was no distribution system in place. And so, yes, growing food and then running up and down the street, giving it to your neighbors is great, but that's not a distribution system. And so because that comes with harvesting, um, storage um, and knowing where is actually going, what impact you're making um, from this whole system. And so it took us some time to develop this. And so from 2012 up until 2018, uh, we were able to go through this whole trial and error stages. And so for me, with the 
two gardens that I manage, uh, the People's Garden and the Garden of Hope, uh, we developed this farm-to-table co-op, which really is a CSA or Community Supported Agriculture Program, where uh, we uh, charge $395 for its membership. And in return, those members receive 20 weeks of produce packages. And so, and then we created this sponsor of family initiative where people who like this idea of helping families receive more access to fresh, uh, freshly grown food, they can purchase a membership and then donate it to a family in need. And so this supports uh, our nonprofit efforts. This also supports the gardeners that are caring for these uh, gardens. This also um, allows uh, people to have more access to fresh food and have a more closer relationship uh, where, with where food comes from. And so, and this also kind of help us um, create this distribution network of, okay, we're growing this food, who are we growing it for? You know, and then where is it actually going, right? And so we're able to document all this and create this little business model attached to it. And we still donate some produce, but it also helps kind of incentivize with the work that we're doing and help give it this business model structure as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, uh, we'll talk more with Tobias Fox about Newark science and sustainability. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Root 11 Potato Chips. From the moment Root 11 dropped their first batch of chips back in the early days of 1992, they understood their destiny as a high-quality producer. Instead of succumbing to the frenzy of mass production, they took advantage of their small size and made chipping a personal art form. The payoff was immediate, an incredible potato chip. With a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. In this world of uncertainty that we live in, Root 11 potato chips believe comfort food can be just that. Know where your food comes from. To learn more, visit rt11.com. Right, we're back. This is Lisa Held. You're listening to The Farm Report on Heritage Radio Network. I'm here speaking with Tobias Fox of Newark Science and Sustainability. So, Tobias, we were talking a lot about um, the community gardens that, that you run in Newark before the break. And I want to ask you this question, which is one of I, I hear this argument a lot from um farmers or sort of um, big food companies that is used to discount urban agriculture efforts. It's sort of this like, oh, it's nice. It builds community. It creates green space in neighborhoods, but it's not practical as a food source. Like you can never grow enough food to really make a dent in people's daily food needs. Based on the work you've been doing, what do you think of that? How do you respond to that? So we're not here to eliminate um commercial farming or farming in traditional farming in rural environments. Uh, we're here to 
we're here to complement that work and work in collaboration with those uh, farmers that's willing to work with us. And so I have uh, a healthy relationship with a organic farmer in a rural environment who has a mid-sized farm that grows uh, uh, an abundance amount of food um, and has a produce CSA, meat CSA, uh, a store on his farm. Uh, and I want to give a big shout out to that farmer, John Knox of Dogwood, Dogwood Farm uh, in Hillsboro, New Jersey. And so, um, and so uh, when he uh, introduced me to his CSA, you know, over 200 member produce CSA, over 100 member meat CSA, I says, wow, I want to see how I could replicate this in a small way in a city, in, in a city like Newark, where food insecurity is huge. And so uh, where you have in more urban environments, uh, a lot of uh, health related uh, issues due to people's um, poor eating habits. And so um, and so it's easier for a nonprofit organization like myself who have this driven mission um, than to reach those people than a commercial farmer who's looking, uh, whose model is designed for, you know, profit, you know? And so, and so it helps create this kind of relate healthy relationship with the two. And so we receive donations from this organic farm, uh, Dalwood Farms to kind of support our efforts of what we're doing. And so it's not meant to replace uh, the traditional farmer, but recognize that we are we're having uh, an influx amount of people living in cities now, and we still have a high number of um, health issues related to people's um, relationship with food and poor eating habits. And so we have to draw a balance between that and say, how can we collaborate and work with each other. And so we grow a lot of food in a city like North, a lot of food is being grown. Um, and so the goal is not to feed almost 300,000 people in the city of North, but it's also to help create more access to freshly grown produce. Yeah, absolutely. And you also work on a lot of different projects, renewable energy, um, wellness and nutrition, art. What's the, what's the thread that connects all of them? So it takes a, uh, we always say, you know, it, it's, it's going to take an interdisciplinary approach um, to create some significant changes in our society. And so we've been so compartmentalized um, in every aspect of our lives because we are products of our education uh, we've been taught that, you know, math has, you know, is separate from science. You know, science is separate from sociology. Sociology is separate from uh, history. And so we go through our lives with this compartmentalized view. And so with our organization, um, we um, create these five pillars, uh, which is urban agriculture, renewable energy, ecological building, eco art, and wellness and nutrition. And we kind of show the interconnectedness of these disciplines and uh, use this interdisciplinary approach to create some meaningful changes uh, in our communities. And so that's our approach. And so we collaborate with like-minded people, you know, people who are artists, but they're also herbalists and they're also, you know, art therapists and they're also gardeners, you know, and so 
Um, and so my skill sets is just like, yeah, you know, I'm an organizer, but I'm also, you know, a photographer. I'm also, you know, an urban farmer and so forth. And we just come together in a very constructive way where we can deliver hands-on learning activities and new creative ways about uh, of reaching people. Yeah, it it makes me think a lot about um, a word that is now used a lot in social justice movements, which is intersectionality. It seems like, you know, what you're talking about, the way all these different things um, overlap and, and intersect with each other. And it's interesting to me because you kind of started with Occupy Wall Street. Um, and I'm, I'm curious, um, did that activism and this kind of commitment to intersectionality, um, did it carry through? And are you um, participating in the current movements around Black Lives Matter? And is that also connected to the work you're doing? That's a great question. So I, what I think with uh, the Occupy Wall Street movement, because I had never seen anything like this before in my life, I thought, I thought, you know, having rallies and protests, I thought that was a thing of the past. It was something that was great in the 60s. Why are we still doing this this way? Until I uh, became an active participant uh, in the Occupy Wall Street movement, but I was I was I started out as like an observer because this I have never seen anything like this before. It completely blew me away. I'm attending different working groups and all this stuff, and so um, and so it, it it planted a seed inside of me, and that which led me to do to doing the work that I'm doing. And so, um, with regards to Black Lives Matter, I think it's great. And so I mean. I'm going to say this about Black Lives Matter and how it's being presented uh, today is that if you kind of look at um, take history from a very broad perspective, you know, because we always separate African American history and Latin American, all this stuff is always separate from American history. But if you so if you take if you take American history from all, from this broad perspective, uh, with all these other uh, cultures involved in the um, full spectrum of American history, uh, it's, re it's, 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 it's like, it's, it's a sad but beautiful story of how we've been um, taking this long shift from slavery to segregation to, you know, to this level of integration. But now um, where you see so many different cultures um, being able to rally against injustice um, all over the world, you know, you, you, you can only think that the next stage of all this is, is some, you know, world unification, you know, where technology is actually helping to increase our levels of empathy. Um, and it also kind of uh, pull um, institutional racism out of the shadows and expose it's, it's just it's ugliness for what it really is, you know? And so these disparities that we have, um, and I tell people like embedded in the fabric of our social system is, you know, racism, classism, sexism, and all these other isms that really uh, destroys us as human beings. And this is really starting to come to light. And, uh, and I'm, I'm thankful to be a witness of it and uh, an active participant in the form that I know how to be, right? And so, and that is, and that is through food justice, food insecurity, food access. You know? 
Right. And yeah, those are connected in so many different ways to to that history and and what, what, you know, the kind of justice that people are fighting for today. And I mean, food sovereignty, you're, you're doing this in communities, like you said, in Newark that have, I'm sure, very high rates of food insecurity and food access challenges. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you about this term that you use a lot. I saw um, your TEDx talk um, and you use this term glocal. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about what that means? Yes. So, you know, we think global, but act local and that's glocal. And so I tell people, look, I may not know how to single-handedly solve world hunger, but I do know how to transform a vacant lot into a community garden so the residents in that community have access to fresh, healthy food. I can do that, you know, and so, and all I can do is begin to empower other people and inspire other people to do the same in their communities. And so, you know, and so, you know, we think about this, you know, the world globally and the challenges that the world is, is dealing with, but what can you do in your own community that could bring about some significant change in someone else's life? And so we think global and act local, and that's global. Very cool. Um, we're going to wrap up in a minute, but before we do, um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about the future. Um, I know you're working on a new project um, that is a sort of a multi-use space. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, and so out of this uh, group of 20 growers that, I'm, uh, that I collaborate with uh, within the city of Newark, um, we are North Science Sustainability. We are the first ones that are going from uh, leaseholder to landowner, landowner, owner. And so we've are acquiring three properties from the city of North. Uh, two of those properties will be combined and redeveloped into a year-round sustainable urban farm, where we have a hydroponic greenhouse, so we can grow leafy greens, leafy greens, herbs, and microgreens year-round. We'll also have this rustic cafe-style facility with a, with a restroom where we can display and sell added value products. We'll have a farm stand on site. We'll have some chickens. We'll have a walk-in cooler where we can store produce. Uh, we'll have um, a commercial kitchen to enhance our uh, wellness and nutrition initiatives with cooking demonstrations and so forth. We'll be uh, collecting rainwater, which will, be, which will feed into the greenhouse. Uh, we'll also have some solar technology to help offset some of our energy costs. And so this is the redevelopment of the Garden of Hope. Uh, we are expected to start the construction uh, sometime uh, in July, early August. And then uh, the third property uh, that we are acquiring from the city, uh, which will be redeveloped into a um, cafe-style farmer's market. Um, we are, have, it's a four level development project. And so the first level would be a cafe style farmer's market, second level office space, third level, uh, um, some apartments, and then we'll have a green roof as well. And so those are the wow. projects we're working on. Yeah. You've got a lot, a lot coming up. Um, has the pandemic, um, slowed anything down for you? Has it affected the progress? Oh, absolutely. And so one, um, you know, I was, um, I had came back from the Philippines on March 13th, excuse me, on March 15th. And, 
just like when I got back, the whole world had fallen fallen apart. Luckily, I made it. I made it back in time before the Philippines had shut down the airport, or otherwise, I would have been there to this day. Um, and so, um, and so a large. So it's just five of us, you know, managing this organization. And so a large portion of our workforce are interns and volunteers. And so um, all of that stopped. Interns and volunteers came to a complete halt. Um, and the, the advancement of the construction projects came to a complete halt because City Hall shut down. Um, and so it really impeded our progress. Um, and now we're trying to play catch up, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, it sounds like a, a really exciting uh, project. And um, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about all you do with urban agriculture in Newark. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you all so much for listening to The Farm Report on Heritage Radio Network. If you enjoyed the conversation, please subscribe to the podcast, rate it, and share it. I'll see you next week. The Farm Report is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Just enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.